I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. Just watch me love myself That's all I want Got what I want That's all I want I'm not sorry I'm Claire Fallon And I'm Emma Gray And this is Love to See It, an obsessively detailed recap podcast about The Bachelor and other pop culture that makes us laugh, cry, and curse the patriarchy. We can't live with these shows and we can't live without them, but we can break down every juicy moment and unpack all the weird messages these shows send us about love, sex, and dating. Welcome to Love to See It, a podcast about data collection and analysis. You know, occasionally when the data collection is of Instagram follower counts, we do very lightly talk about it. So, of course, we're obsessed with Bachelor Data, an Instagram account that tracks follower counts of Bachelor franchise contestants, screen time, and like so many other fun stats. It's honestly incredible. Go follow if you don't already. And given all the weird follower count drama on Bachelor in Paradise this season, we really wanted to talk to the numbers wizard behind the account, Susanna Summers, and get some more insight. So here she is. Susanna, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. We've spoken to Susanna before on our newsletter podcast, Rich Text which you should subscribe to if you are not already. But so much has happened since we last checked in with her. And honestly, by the time this airs, uh, another episode of BIP will have aired. So, you know, some of the data may have changed by the time you are even listening to this. So we are sorry if any of this feels a little dated, but we will soldier on anyway. Yeah, it's Tuesday afternoon, so a lot of a lot of <laughs> shit's about to go down. This really is the problem with data analysis and data reporting is that the second you report it, it's out of date. Is that just like infuriating that you're just like constantly gathering data and posting it and then it's like immediately obsolete or not obsolete, but like superseded by new developments? Yeah, it's it's normally a frustration um, the day after an episode whenever we do the 24-hour growth because... We collect it at 8 p.m. Eastern, and it takes us at this point probably about half an hour for like me and another person to put it together. But lately, with the Brennan and Piper data, it's by the time I get like a TikTok up or by the time I have a post up, the first comments are, "Oh, but now he's already at this amount, or he's he's already dropped more." And it's like, I know <laughs> it's immediate. Like I, it's it's so quick. How dare your graphics not reflect all the information that has come to light since you finished making the graphic ten minutes ago? The Brendan and Piper thing has just been, oh, a huge a huge mess. I don't think we've ever seen anything quite like it. But one of the things that's really struck us just right off the bat is that the size of these Instagram followings has been an actual part of the on-screen narrative on the show. Um, And I'm curious, like, what has it been like for you to see that as someone who tracks those followings? Like, it's like they're taking your job, they're bringing that (laughs) part of the off-screen discussion on screen. Is it weird to have that, like, Instagram fourth wall broken so much this season? It was it was really odd the moment that it happened during that episode where, you know, the the footage of them like on that chair and they were talking to each other and there was nobody else there. The moment that that happened, I actually my boyfriend was in another room and he's always like, oh, I don't watch. I don't watch. And then the same moment we both heard it. And I immediately I was like, 
they're talking about data. And then he goes, did I just hear them talk about data at the same time? And it was, it was really surreal because, I mean, data, obviously, I've been reporting on this now for, gosh, since January 2019, um, between not only my Instagram account, but then where I started on Reddit. But to actually see that fourth wall broken and acknowledged, um, I think it's really interesting. You know, and I, there's a lot that we could dive into around, you know, they all go on the show for followers, they all go on for this career, but to hear it being acknowledged and how people are strategizing is like crossing strategy from Big Brother that I watched, but into Bachelor in Paradise, which is a weird crossover I never thought I'd ever see on TV. You know, as people who have been watching this show for a while, this all felt really, really new to us. Like, do you ever recall seeing contestants talk so explicitly about their social media followings on camera before? Because, like, we really didn't. I think the closest that we've gotten was Carl on on uh, Katie's season was, you know, them discussing how Carl came on for the fame and everything. Um, and, you know, we've always talked, we have seen in the past them coming on be like, they're here for the wrong reasons to become the next Bachelor, um, but never this explicitly. I think I think this is definitely a first. And, you know, it makes me wonder where the show's going to go now that it seems like it's breaking that fourth wall and acknowledging the 21st century with social media. Yeah, I feel like it, it was kind of inevitable that they were going to have to address it in some way at some point because it's very obvious that that is a big benefit of being on a show like The Bachelor. It is something that everyone else notices. It's something that the people they're casting are very, very aware of. Um, And it did feel like this was sort of like the show making an example of Brendan and Piper and being like, this isn't a good look. You will be punished. (laughs) It makes me really wonder what the producers were thinking, like when it was being filmed and how if they would even use it. Um, like it makes me really wonder where they thought that storyline would go and if they knew that the audience would react so poorly to it and that they could really capitalize on it and make it make them villains. Yeah, it's it was definitely a choice. And we talked about whether maybe they thought that the show would not want to show them talking about follower counts, but the show could have cut all that out. I'm sure they talked about other things and the show has it almost seems like the decision has been made that the way to prevent this clout chasing from poisoning the franchise is to very harshly target it within the on-screen show universe. And I think that's interesting. That's a way to handle it, for sure. Honestly, it seems to have been pretty <laughs> effective. <laughs> Obviously, um, Susanna, like, you have been tracking the fallout from this very closely. um, And you were sort of already set up to be tracking this data. Did you always intend to track Instagram followers from the point when you started the account or just like started looking into the data to begin with? Yeah, this was the first data point that we ever started collecting. So a little bit about my background. I'm a technology director for K-12 school district. I had just been promoted. I was a few months into the job and a ton of people were expecting me to know how to use Excel. And I didn't know how I could do like equals sum and I could like drag some cells. And I thought I I was like proficient. Um, (laughs) So I tried to start taking some Excel classes and found them horribly dry and really boring. So, you know, Colton season was about to start at the time and Reddit was always talking about Instagram followers. So I was like, why don't I start tracking each contestant this season? There were spoilers out already from ABC on like who was going to be on the cast. So I found their Instagrams and then every night I'd pull up their profiles, I'd collect the numbers, and then I'd report it on Reddit. And it led to so many interesting conversations that it just grew from there. Yeah, that is kind of the the root of the the data analysis of The Bachelor. That like this is when you and therefore the rest of us started looking at the show as like data to be crunched. And then it turns out there's lots of data like screen time that you can look at more closely. But um, Instagram followings have have been at the center of this controversy that I think I think we need to talk about. Uh, I think people want to know more about 
Brendan and Piper. Um, so last week, was was that really when the fallout started? Like, when did we start to see Brendan and Piper's numbers fall? And what was the initial, like, fallout in terms of numbers, that first, that first drop-off that you saw? Yeah, so... Brendan peaked um, Sunday night at 8 p.m. And he was already down a little bit Monday at 8 p.m., like right when the episode started. Um, But Piper peaked Monday on the episode when the fallout all kind of started to happen. Um, And it was instantaneous. As soon as that conversation happened and, you know, here at home, we were like, they're talking about data. Um, (laughs) Then I started getting tagged in comments and tweets and people being like, they're already losing followers. And I wasn't, you know, I'm I'm watching to collect segment data during the episode. So then I whip out my like phone because I can't use my computer to start looking at it. And, and lo and behold, they're they're losing followers really quickly. Um, that it just became, it felt like live sports when you're like <laughs> refreshing ESPN. And when I say you, I mean like my boyfriend is ES like refreshing it to like hear what the insider is gonna put out. It felt like that for Bachelor Nation, where it was like this live play-by-play on what's happening to the followers. And on top of that, it just, it felt like the Super Bowl here in our house as far as like collecting stats and data. I was up until I think two that night, thanks to everything that was happening. And thank goodness it was a holiday that I didn't have work the next day. Well, your dedication is really, really appreciated. Can you sort of give... Um, our listeners an overview of like where they both started in terms of followers or what their like highest follower count was and when and then you know kind of how that drop happened yes so when they were on their respective bachelor and bachelorette seasons they all started with like well below 10,000 like they didn't have a significant following count to even report on Um, at the beginning of bachelor in paradise so when the season started, not when Piper first came on, but when the first episode aired, um, Brennan was at 327,000 followers. And then he peaked at 349,000 just before the episode. So and he was really gaining followers from this season until this. And this season has been pretty slow for people to gain followers. Um, you know, I was excited for this season because the last Bachelor in Paradise we had seen was pre-pandemic. And that's where people were exploding with followers after their season because so much screen time was spent on so many more love stories. But since then, he's dropped below what he started the season with. So he started at 327 and now he's down to 251. Poor guy. (laughs) Oh, man. It was a very bad move. And then especially the way he talked to Natasha, my, my own personal opinion was like that was bad like did you just say that with a camera next year it wasn't even like the camera was far away the camera is next to you and you're saying this to natasha but then like this guy's influencer career just tanked like he lost a lot of followers he's down to 250 it's like he forgot that to be an influencer you have to have people like you and not just see you on their tv screen Well, and I think he tried to embrace the villain role, which we have seen be successful in the past. Mm -hmm. But lately, the villain role has not been helping people. It didn't help Victoria L. on Matt's season, on Katie's season, didn't help Thomas, didn't help Carl, didn't help, like, name the villain because there were so many villains on her season and none of them did that great. You know, and I think he acknowledged it on the first date with Piper, like, he was like, well, we're going to be hated on the beach, so we might as well go back ready for it. And it was like, well, this is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you just suffer on the beach and then you get the payoff of all the followers because no one wants to follow you now. I mean, that's interesting. Like, who are some some Bachelor Nation villains that we've seen really profit from leaning into being a villain in the past in terms of their Instagram followings? My guess is, and I'm curious to see if this is correct, would be like Corinne Olympios and Demi. Yes. And that's where, I mean, just looking at this season, Demi came on this season with 1.2 million followers. So she's definitely from the era that we saw a lot more Instagram growth, you know, pre-shutdown with the pandemic and people moving to TikTok. Um, But, you know, she came on with 1.2 
to 1 million followers and she's still at 1.21 million followers. So I don't think it's benefiting her this season as much as it did in the past. Yeah, maybe at that level she is maxed out a little bit. I mean, it doesn't seem like she's losing followers despite kind of leaning into the villain vibe on the beach, which is interesting. She's been fluctuating all season. So she started, so if like we want to get into like the millions, right? She started, I'm just going to say decimals because it's a lot of numbers, 1.217 million. And then she dropped to 1.214. So she dropped from 17 to 14 in the thousands place. Back up to 17, down to 16, up to 17, down to 16, up to 18, down to 17 now. So it's been all season just like fluctuating for her. Yeah, I wonder if there's something going on in Bachelor Nation about who they're choosing to follow or if it's something about the way that someone like Brendan is a villain and the way that someone like Demi is, that like maybe there are more people out there who are like, oh, I want to follow a cute blonde with a lot of quote-unquote personality uh, compared to like a guy who seems like just a real dick. (laughs) I'm curious about what's going on in people's brains. But at the same time, like part part of me wondered how much of this was because there seemed to be like a bit of a campaign. Like we definitely got messages. I know other people got messages from mutual followers and and so on being like I see you still follow Brendan or Piper like you should unfollow them you know there's a campaign corresponding to follow Natasha but it seems like you're saying that we saw real tangible hits as at least to Brendan's followers like immediately like before there was really time for something like that to happen and I I think both of those can coexist Mm -hmm. I yeah. It was it was pretty immediate, the the hit. And it was, you could see it before the episode even ended. It was just dropping hundreds by oh the second. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I definitely think at the same time in the following days, I think a lot of the people talking about, about it on social media, and not just my account. I mean, there were tons of people that were finding the websites that show people's live Instagram count changing. You know, people were posting those. And I think that definitely fueled it. I know every time I made a post, people were like, unfollow them and go follow Natasha, which I think helped spike her follower count, like, which was nothing we've seen before. Um, yeah, it was, that it, was actually going to be my next question. Can you kind of take us through when that spike happened and what did she start with? Did she even have 100,000 followers before? No. She, her season, Bachelor in Paradise started with her at 65,000 followers which I even find interesting because on her season, she made it to just before hometown dates and she didn't even have 100K. Um, But yeah, throughout the whole season leading up to the episode, she hit uh, 79,000 just before the episode. And then the day after the episode, she went from 79,000 to 228,000 followers. And now she's at like 440 or something. Yeah, last night she oh was at God. 431. So 431 last night, which shows she's already up in less than 24 hours, another 10,000. I mean, I was already predicting, I was like, maybe she'll cap out at like 400K and it just doesn't slow down. That's crazy. I, you know, I feel like Natasha was, I mean, historically, Black women on the show do not get as large followings from being on the show as white women. And she also was on a somewhat earlier season. I think there's been more of a mass push the last season or so to be like, follow the Black women from the show, follow the women of color, get their numbers up. Maybe Piper might have been included in that, but Natasha as an older cast member maybe wasn't as much. And now there's been this big push for her just in the last week. And I don't know, I kind of love to see that. Yeah, I I think especially it's cool to see how people will rally around whenever people are mistreated. I think that that is a really cool thing to see that people really agreed that the way that she was treated wasn't great. No matter how much editing went into that conversation, there were just a lot of really horrible things said. Um, But I think it's really interesting because I think, you know, on previous seasons, we've talked about how the players are unionizing. And I feel like now the viewers are doing the same thing. And it's really interesting to see. I was going to say that I think it's actually a really interesting 
model for how the audience can impact or like show their displeasure with the behaviors of people on screen. I think it's, first of all, impacts their bottom line more than like flooding an account with a bunch of hate does. And more importantly, it's like much more humane. Like you're not inciting like mass harassment on someone by just simply saying, I'm no longer going to provide you with my eyeballs and my likes. You are literally canceling that. Like that is what originally canceling was supposed to mean. Just like removing your audience ship from that person. You're no longer going to be like patronizing them. And that is what people are doing. And I I feel like there's just like a high that people watch the show are experiencing from the fact that it's going some sort of way. Like it feels, it's like you were saying the people watching the follower counts go down. There's this satisfaction to being like, oh, I can hit on follow and I can almost see the impact of that because so many other people are doing it at the same time. Whereas normally if you don't like someone from the show, you can just hit on follow and probably everyone else is still following them. And you're like, well, that did nothing. And now it's like, we're firing them (laughs) together. (laughs) I also, I don't hate it though, because if that's the way that we're moving around, you know, be it cancel culture, like whatever you want to call it, I don't hate it because it's much better than encouraging people to go flood that person's DMs with a ton of hate. Because I should clarify, I'm I'm not actually opposed to cancel culture. She's, yeah. I'm like, (laughs) I'm pro. (laughs) <laughs> but I think it's also one of those things where it's like some people confuse that word and they think it's also associated with like sliding into their DMs, berating them and all these things. And even somebody for me, like I I have a smaller account. I'm not on national TV and like I get hate and mm-hmm. I can tell you like I don't envy Brendan and Piper right now because like I can't imagine their anxiety right now anytime that they like I just I hope they're not looking at their inboxes because I know it's flooded with vitriol that they don't like they did really bad stuff but they don't deserve to get death threats they don't deserve any of that like that right. is the way that if you don't like something that somebody's doing don't like don't waste your energy following them and actively hating them like just unfollow them mm-hmm. like, well, take exactly. them out of your life look I, I mean it's interesting like you are you know a, a small scale public figure in that sense and and so are we as people with platforms with a podcast and yeah, that barrier to reaching someone with hate is is like very thin. And that's why I say I think this is an interesting model because I don't think it's effective, nor is it like right in any way, obviously, to like flood someone with vitriol. And we know the internet, we know that this fan base can be, parts of the fan base can be very toxic. So inevitably, like people are going to get misogynist, racist hate, you know? And ultimately, it's like, yeah, just unfollow. Mm-hmm. And that is yeah. a great and effective way to to register uh, your disdain. It's interesting that, like, I don't think we've ever seen something like this happen before. Um, I mean, have, have you, Susanna, have you ever seen a contestant on the show, like, sort of consistently lose significant numbers of followers, like net followers over the course of appearing on a show? No, not even like, I think Jed was what or Jed and Luke P were some of the most frustrated that the audience has been with people who already had big followings. Um, you know, like if we look at like Carl or Thomas on like Katie season, as an example of somebody more recent, like they did, they just didn't have a big following. And we didn't even see it. Jed didn't even drop followers until like two days after the finale. Um, But I think what's more interesting is not only the mass unfollowing, but Natasha, I actually went back to look. I feel like the easiest one to look at is somebody who gained a ton of followers was Tyler C. And I could not find a 48 period, 48 hour period where Tyler C gained more followers than what Natasha did, which I think is fascinating. Because Tyler was one of the most or the most successful contestant to ever come on the show who didn't become the lead. I mean, he has steadily held second or third most followed contestant, but he's consistently been number one most followed contestant who wasn't a lead. That's so interesting. 
That that excludes the finale data, though, because everybody at the finale, that's when you gain hundreds of thousands. But during a season, like before a finale, Tyler never gained that many followers. Peter never gained that many followers. Maddie, Pruitt, Hannah Ann, Hannah Brown, like during a season, nobody's ever gained that much. So wow. this was like, a, I mean, yeah, the power of organization, baby. Okay, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, it, I, th- I just think it's so fascinating because for months now, oh, gosh, like a year now since the pandemic has happened, we are not seeing Instagram growth for people that go on the show anymore. We just aren't. And it, it makes sense. Huh. Like TikTok has just now, I think I saw in the news, surpassed YouTube in viewership hours. And I see it myself. Like I'm spending so much time on TikTok. It is so addicting. The algorithm is so tailored to me. And it's pulling people away from Instagram that seeing now record numbers is just fascinating. That's so interesting. I'm curious, like when you look at Bachelor people on TikTok, are they just getting followers there? Or is it like because of the different format, is that not a good format for Bachelor contestants to be popular on? Are they less likely to get followers at all because Instagram followers aren't quite as fruitful anymore? They they definitely have sizable counts. I mean, if you look at, uh, and I go back to pre-pandemic days, um, like the Hannah Brown, the Maddie Pruitt, I mean, they have over a million TikTok followers, but you don't see as many contestants over there and they aren't posting as much. And, you know, TikTok really requires you to post frequently if you're going to gain followers. So I think it's it's interesting to see who's going to really figure out the TikTok algorithm for Bachelor Nation and who's going to really bring it up like it was with Instagram like a decade ago. Wow. That's crazy. I need to get on TikTok. I don't know what's going on over there. <laughs> oh, I love I love TikTok. It's really fun. But it is it is a very different like the feed operates very differently than it does on on Instagram. So it really is like the Wild West. I feel very much like an old on TikTok, but I also am totally addicted to it. It's it's great and people are so smart and funny. It seems like a lot of effort to me. It does seem like a lot of work. <laughs> I certainly don't have it in me. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with even more from Bachelor Data. Can you keep up? I like, love it. If you want to bring coziness into your life, uh, and I mean, who doesn't, <laughs> turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially right now, because the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite Lux Home blanket. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. And their products make the perfect gifts too. I would certainly love to be given something from Barefoot Dreams. I just acquired the robe. And it is like the softest robe I have ever put on my body. It's so cozy. It's so warm. It's beautiful. It has a nice drape and weight to it. I wear it whenever I have the opportunity. I just want to wear it constantly. And I think everyone should have that kind of comfort and coziness in their lives. For Love to See It with Emma and Claire listeners, you can get 15% off of your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code LTSI15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Okay, so you got engaged. Congrats. Now you may be wondering what comes next. If you're planning a wedding, the first thing you need to know about is Zola. With Zola, you can plan your entire wedding in one convenient place. From the day you get engaged and search for the venue to the day you send out your save the dates, make your registry, and even taste your cake. Zola has literally everything you need to make the whole process super easy and actually even enjoyable. There's even a five-star app that helps you plan on the go or, you know, from your couch, which is certainly how, uh, if I was planning a wedding, I would definitely want to do it as loungily as possible. (laughs) So important. I also just know myself. I, I know that planning any kind of event, like even a birthday party, can get very stressful And so it's been really cool to see friends use Zola. It really seems to make everything a lot less stressful. And as a frequent wedding attender, I love to be able to hop on that Zola registry and just purchase a gift, 
Easy peasy. I know I've done it. I won't forget. Thank you, Zola. Yeah, everything's all in the same place. It's perfect. Start planning at Zola.com. That's Z-O-L-A.com. Springtime vibes are in the air. And when you bring in some of the beautiful flowers that are blooming, you probably want to smell the flowers, not the litter box. But thanks to Pretty Litter, you'll be able to smell those spring flowers all you want. Nothing beats Pretty Litter's ability to instantly trap odors. It's ultra absorbent, it's lightweight, low dust, and one six-pound bag works for up to a month. Pretty Litter's crystals change color to indicate early signs of potential illnesses in your cat. And if all of that wasn't enough, Pretty Litter ships free right to your door. You'll never run out, you won't have huge kitty litter bags taking up space, and even better, You won't have to lug those huge tubs from the store to your car or the subway and into your house. Our producer, Talon, has been using Pretty Litter and he just raves about how great it is, how easy it is to scoop, how much better it smells. I mean, the health monitor aspect gives so much peace of mind. He's a big fan and we know that you will be too. Go to prettylitter.com slash LTSI to save 20% on your first order and Get a free cat toy. That's prettylitter.com slash LTSI to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. Prettylitter.com slash LTSI. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Oh, I'm so happy the weather is finally turning. If you, like me, have been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune, then Quince is for you. You can build up a lineup of timeless pieces that will keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year. Like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings right on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, as well as premium fabrics and finishes. I love Quince for all these staples. I mean, linen is my favorite summer fabric. They have so many amazing linen staples. I also found my new go-to like summer running around to the playground in the coffee shop bag. It's the pebbled Italian leather front sling bag. I can just fit a wallet and my phone and my AirPods in it, maybe some lip balm. Absolutely perfect. I'm so obsessed with it. And the price was exactly what I wanted to. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash LTSI for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list, as they should, because it's very important. If that's you, then make this year the year you finally check it off your list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Wow, that is really fast. Their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning link... Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. I personally used Babbel before I headed off to Paris for three weeks, and it was so helpful just kind of giving me back the basic understanding of French, allowing me to interact with people in restaurants, in shops, and, you know, just not make a total fool of myself when in a foreign country. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash LTSI. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash LTSI. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash LTSI. Rules and restrictions may apply. And we're back. Piper was losing followers as well, um, but not at the same rate 
as Brendan. And Emma and I have tossed around some theories about this. Her count was much lower to begin with. I've definitely seen speculation that it's because her followers are bought and paid for. Um, What do you think is going on there? Why is Piper not dropping at the same rate? So I feel like whenever things happen as far as news, it's like any news stories like Chris Harrison, um, Taylor Nolan, like think of any news story in the last year. When people look at numbers and the numbers don't do what they think that they should do, they start to call foul. And Mm -hmm. I think that the easiest example of this is the election, you know, and I, I think it's really easy for people to call foul when they don't like the numbers that they're seeing and trusting the sources and whatnot. So I think that's something that's important to keep in mind. And especially for me, looking at this, looking at data just in general, um, like I have to keep my biases in check, right? Because the second that I try to start um, like rooting for somebody, then I'm going to report on the data differently. So, and, and that's not to like, I can't, I have favorites, you know, I, I have people that I love on this show, but when it comes to me looking at the data and what I'm going to report on, I think it's important to keep a few things in check. Number one, Brendan's going to lose more followers because he started with more followers. Second, if two people came off really bad on this show, they were not equal. Brendan had yeah, a, a lot agree. more screen time. Yeah. <laughs> Brendan had a lot more screen time to begin with on that episode than Piper did. Um, but I think it also helped Piper, you know, looking at strategically, right? Like, let's look at the numbers to truly try to find an answer here. Most of her screen time was around, hey, Brendan, that's, that's not really how it went down. You know, that's not really how things were. She was saying that on the date before they went back to the beach. Um, and, you know, Piper wasn't the person that was like berating Natasha. You know, she, she went and talked to Natasha just fine and was like, no, this is how it was. No, it wasn't three times. We hung out this many times and, and was up front to her, which is what I think any girl would want. So I think, I think there was a bigger push for Brendan. You know, could she have been buying followers? Yeah, sure. Um, it's really risky for them. Whenever you buy followers, it's putting your account at risk of getting banned if there's anything suspicious that Instagram you know, picks up on that I think would be really stupid of anybody on this show to do. Um, But more importantly, like, it's not going to benefit her if she does it. So that's the perspective that I come from is any, like, if she's trying to make a career off of this, buying fake followers is not going to make her more money because any company that has anybody in a social media position, they're going to go in and look at, you know, what's the engagement in the comments look Mm -hmm. like they're going to watch the stories for a few weeks to see, oh, is this influencer doing loop giveaways? Or are they doing, hey, go like all of my pictures from August and comment on all of them, and then you'll be entered for a prize. Like They can pick up on those to see if it's true, authentic engagement. And really, when it comes down to it, these influencers, they aren't just approached by companies and the companies say, you have 200,000 followers. We want to pay you this much. These influencers (laughs) have managers that have hard stats from previous campaigns on how many clicks, how many, how many people use those codes. And that's how, that's what helps them negotiate the money. So like, could she have been? Yeah, sure. But like, it's not going to help her. Right. You're not going to get that organic engagement. And ultimately, like there are more sophisticated tools than us just like looking at the, the numbers ultimately. She has an entire master's in marketing, so she knows Also, something we wanted to talk about was Alana and Chris, because they were, although I personally did not perceive the situations to be the same, a lot of the way in which they were spoken about, especially on the show, was like compared um, and, and drawing parallels. From what I saw, it doesn't seem like we saw a fallout in terms of their numbers, do you think that's just because they both like had very few followers to begin with and so any exposure was kind of bound to boost them or do you think it's because people were discerning and were like this doesn't actually seem like the crime that you know Brendan and Piper committed? I think it was a little bit of both. We definitely I saw some fluctuation in their numbers like up front that first night. Um but I think that the I honestly, like, I think social media plays so much about it and how people talk after this show about it. You know, I, I saw so many people discussing about how 
they felt like they were bullied off the beach and like how interesting it was that Joe led the charge when he is quite literally an influencer um, who is likely on the show for, you know, he might be on, he's definitely, I mean, they, they could all be there for love, but if they weren't there for more followers, if they weren't there to be influencers, their profiles would be private. You know, we would see what we saw back in the Ben Flagnick days where somebody made it to final two, final three, who never had a public profile. Those are true people that aren't going on the show for followers. And that's no one. Nobody <laughs> on the show anymore does that. And it's okay to acknowledge that. Like, like it is not a bad thing to go on the show for followers. Like, if you don't like your career and this is the way you want to spin it, do it. Like, that. that is totally fine. It is a legit career. It requires so much work to, to be an influencer. Like, more power to them. But I think... I think there was just a a social media movement a little bit more in their favor, but it's still, they're both, you know, Alana's at 21,000 and Chris is at 16,000 and they haven't really budged from there for the last few days. So I don't, they didn't really have yeah. a lot to begin with. Yeah. It's interesting. I do feel like some, some of the more established contestants you will see saying things like, well, yeah, like, of course we all love to have followers, but like, I'm doing it the right way. And the thing is, like, it's hard to, like, disagree with them in a way. It's like, what do we expect from these people? We want them to be aware that the, the reality of the industry that they're in and not be in denial about it. But we also don't want them to be so aware that it seems like they're manipulating us or being inauthentic. It's just such a, a tricky industry because it's really all just about coming off as likable. And it's hard to come off as likable when you're like, I'm just here for followers. <laughs> Or using people. Mm-hmm. Like, it, Brendan just felt like he really used Natasha and then threw her out. And then not only did he throw her out, then he was like, well, you didn't really have any options to begin with, which is like, that is so rude. Like, And, sa- that- and said that multiple times. I mean, yeah, that was really, that was, that really killed it for me, personally. Yeah. Like, if he had just <laughs> thought about it for, like, 10 minutes, he could have been like, well, instead I could just play into this narrative of, you know, she came back and it just really reinvigorated something that, you know, I didn't know was there. And like, he could have gone so many other storylines that like would have sounded cheesy and like maybe fake, but not rude. (laughs) I just have part of me is like, is he just an idiot? Like, is he an exceptional idiot that he made this miscalculation that he handled this in a way that we've only seen handled similarly poorly by people who were not that big, like Joe maybe with Julia and Sam. But also, I'm like, in the past, would the show have protected him more because of his popularity? It's hard to know because we don't know what happens on the back end. But I'm just like constantly so curious about how this all came to happen. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting point because just from like casual conversations that we've had with with various people, it does seem like potentially more conversations that explicitly acknowledge things like followers do happen, but they are like generally cut. And that is really starting to change. Yeah. And I I think it's about time. You know, I think, especially as somebody who has watched Big Brother for, you know, a decade or two now, it's like, that's my dream. I wish that we could have like the, the live feeds that we have on Big Brother so that we could see what really happens and it isn't so contrived by editing, but also gives us more content to interact with while it's being filmed and no spoilers to impact the data. I... There's just so much potential there that I get excited about, but I, I don't think we'll ever go there with the show. But it would be so interesting to be a fly on that wall in the editing room to see what actually happens. It would. I don't know if they'd ever relinquish that control. No, but it would be that's the one thing they have on us. <laughs> We've touched a little bit on like the general trend away from people getting big followings from from the show, but. I'm like kind of curious how this plays out on VIP in particular, because I think this is often talked about by the cast and by the audience as like, this is an opportunity for people who maybe didn't break out on their initial season to get a second chance at like getting their rightfully deserved followers on Instagram because they're really hot and likable and they just should have gotten those followers the first time and now they can get them on the beach And it seems like just from watching, like these contestants with small followings coming in are at a disadvantage because they're kind of like second class bachelor citizens and no one like is as friendly with them. No one wants to see them as much. I'm curious, like if that's playing out 
and the Instagram followings, like are contestants with these small initial followings often seeing large increases or is more of the growth that's happening going to people who already have sizable followings? Yeah, I think we're definitely seeing some boosts this year for people who didn't have a big following to begin with. Like Aaron is one of them where, you know, the weekend before his his uh, season started, he only had 58,000 followers. And despite him kind of being the the instigator on the beach, he's at like 121,000 already. Um, Tajwan has been a really fun one to watch because people have really been rallying on social media around following her too. And, you know, more screen time for her, more followers for her. But I think there's definitely some people that are just not really benefiting as much. Like we didn't see it with Serena C, Victoria, the Queen Victoria or whatever her name is now. Um, She only budged a few thousand followers. So I think it's really interesting to see who people choose to follow and who they don't from some of these smaller followed folks. Are there any other notable standouts other than Aaron? Because that seems um, significant to have jumped past like the 100K. He is getting a lot of screen time, though. Like, is it yeah. just like to do with screen time? Like, did Serena, part? has has Serena P seen a big jump? She has. So she was at like 130 something thousand followers. And now she's at 230,000 or 234,000. So she's had a size of, I mean, 100,000 followers is what a lot of influencers who don't go on TV spend years to try to get to. You know, somebody who surprised me that hasn't grown as much has been Noah. I thought he'd have a bigger growth this season, especially going into it. There were rumors around him and Abigail being together, you know, spotted, you know, at different times, like during filming and whatnot. Um, You know, he started with 117,000 followers and he's at 162, which is, you know, not a lot when you look at Serena P or, you know, even Abigail. Abigail is now at 555,000, but she started with 500,000. So it's it's really interesting to see, you know, we like love stories like theirs. We're seeing it less than we have in previous seasons, um, which I think might be it. There's so much more drama this season, less love, I feel like. I would actually be be curious maybe we should you know try to check in with you or something at the end of the season because I do wonder as we get into that like final stretch if and and as they kind of drill down on those final couples if we're gonna see any any big jumps and and that's where we've seen it in previous Bachelor in Paradise seasons I haven't officially analyzed any of them but the one that I did semi-collect data on it really had to do in those that last week of episodes especially around engagements who stayed together um, rumors on people getting back together afterwards, kind of like the, I think the perfect storm that I've ever seen was Hannah Brown and Tyler C with the quarantine crew, which then spun off a bachelor of Matt James before he even went on a season. (laughs) He was in a way on a season. If you consider the quarantine crew as part of the bachelor nation extended universe, which it sort of was, (laughs) um, very true. I still remember on um, what was it? Hannah's season. I was, I track like whenever random people pop up around, you know, some like Jed's ex, um, I started tracking her followers and I, I went back the other day to that spreadsheet and I literally had on that spreadsheet, uh, Tyler C's friend, Matt. <laughs> and like, I didn't even put Matt James because I, I knew I wouldn't remember who it was. I had to put Tyler C's friend. From so early on, he was so much wrapped into Tyler C's brand. Like, I remember that from before quarantine crew, yes. from, like, when Tyler was first on the season. I don't think we've ever seen that before or since with just a friend of a contestant. I think that that was also very intentional. Like, they're so tight, and they had that project together. But I remember we tried to book Tyler on the pod, and they were like, he'll come on with Matt. Like, which I think is adorable. And that's part of why Tyler is so beloved. Because everyone's like, oh, he's famous now. And he just wants to make his friend famous, too. Like, it's so sweet. <laughs> and it works. That's hilarious. Love yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, I think the Abigail and Noah thing is interesting. Because I feel like maybe people just aren't buying that they're endgame. And then maybe we'll see that change if they end up coming out of this as a couple. Whereas Serena with Joe, people are really, like buying shares of that. Yeah. That's so interesting. So it seems like, you know, screen time and just being in a really solid couple because Serena has not gotten a ton of screen time from what I've seen. Is that accurate? Or am I just like... 
Yeah, Serena hasn't gotten a ton of screen time. She did around the Kendall narrative, um, but it it wasn't a ton. But same thing with Abigail. I mean, she also, she is now on her second season where she is being deprived of screen time, um, even though everybody talks about her. So I think it's really interesting to see what will happen in these last few weeks of the episode to see where these love stories go and how much they'll stop how much they'll start to invest in the love stories and actually making us root for some of these people versus, you know, how much are they going to start like moving away from like 90% of the episode being about drama. Right. It's the classic Bachelor franchise season arc where you're just like, are we still in the drama portion of the season? That (laughs) happens every season. But um, yeah, I was curious whether more of the new followers were going to people who are like coupled off versus, like, involved in, like, love triangles versus, like, people who are instigating drama. From the little bit I've seen and that we've talked about, like, it seems like it's kind of, like, it depends and, like, varies person to person. Like, Aaron is definitely mostly just a drama instigator, and he's getting a lot of followers. But then Demi has not necessarily benefited follower-wise. It's so tough to to label like this narrative will always get you that because then there's so many variables around it, right? And that's because we are humans and we gravitate towards towards different things and how we associate ourselves with that story. So I think Greg is a really good example because he was so polarizing that so many people, um, like myself included, who has been in a, in a relationship where I was very much gaslit. When I saw that moment, I was triggered by it. And I was like, you know, this really is bringing back some of those emotions And then there were people, you know, like even my mom, like we're texting during the episode and I was like, oh my God, Greg. And she was like, I don't see what's wrong. Like they're just both hurt and they're having a bad conversation. And, you know, I think people react to different storylines very differently. Yeah. And I think it's really tough to label. Like if you're a villain, you're always going to lose followers. If you're in a love story or in a love triangle, you're always going to gain followers. And then on top of that, then you have the other layer that you really have to throw on there and acknowledge is, is race. It doesn't, when it comes down to it, your race does determine whether or not people are interested in following you on the show. Um, and it's it's a thing that I really hope is, you know, really starting to turn a corner is noticing that, you know, people of color are very much, you know, they're worth following. They they have really good content too. And, you know, I hope that the store that the show really starts to invest a lot more screen time into editing us to show us those people and to make us fall in love with them too and not just, you know, use them as villains or as narrators for the show. Yeah, or like kind of characters like Tajwan and Trey who are sort of like more the more goofy court jestery. Yeah. yeah. I do I I do find it interesting that there are people of color involved in a lot of the most solid couples now. Um and so as we talked about, it will be interesting to see how the show approaches lifting up those love stories um, and if they, if the way that they approach those love stories changes depending on the race of the couples. Like, that is all stuff that I am definitely going to be looking out for and we're sure that you're, you're going to be really drilling down into and we're, like, so grateful that you are. <laughs> it is what they promised us last summer in the summer of 2020. They're the yeah. ones who chose to put out that statement committing to showing diverse love stories. So, you know, and I think this is the perfect cast to do it. I mean, they they casted a primarily people of color cast, and that is the perfect opportunity to to really fight this head on internally of checking those biases and how are you? Because there are producers that like their jobs are just to create stories on this show, and you know, by casting a cast that you can really lift up those voices and those love stories that are going to happen inevitably. You know, it's it's an opportunity for them to work on that internally. I'm curious about one dynamic that's going on here possibly which is that we're finally seeing more of these stories on the show and more people of color on the cast at the same time it's becoming less clear how they monetize that through their followers if because you know you're saying the trend is away from people getting a lot of followers on Instagram um like is that a coincidence like is the show's fan base being, uh, you know, in large part racist, is that something that might be playing into people going far on the show but not getting as as huge of followings out of it? 
Like when you look at someone like Demi, who's like a huge, or not even Demi so much as even like Corinne, like these villains who behave kind of badly, but they're like cute and blonde and they have these huge followings. Um, We're not like seeing that with black and brown cast members. Yeah, I think, you know, I've thought about this and, you know, I... I think it's tough to say yes or no either way if you just look at the Bachelor franchise because a lot has happened in in the Bachelor franchise where, you know, they made this statement and then they came back and filmed the show. And like, yes, you could say, okay, there was a, a sizable decrease after that statement was made, but that's just one variable. I think the bigger variable in this all is TikTok, really. You know, that's a a massive variable, but I think the best thing that you can do is look at other shows. And there are a lot of other really great reality TV shows that have been coming out. Love is Blind. And they came out. They had people of color that hit a million followers, you know, and that it's a different clientele. But I think Love is Blind is one that could actually kind of cross over more than like Big Brother or Survivor, for example. Yeah, that's true. Like Lauren, Lauren and Cam just got an insane number of followers. And then you could also look at The Circle, which I know isn't too much about love stories, but, you know, I was just watching it last night and I look back at people from previous seasons and they're well over a million followers, too. So I think I think it's interesting because it's if you look from franchise to franchise, people of color do well in other franchises. So I think, you know, if this show, sorry, this show is paid by ABC, which is owned by Disney, which makes an obscene amount of money, they can hire people who tell great stories right? It is their job in editing to tell a good story to get people to tune into this show. And, you know, whether or not you cast primarily white or if you cast people of color, I think it personally, I think that that it comes down to how good are your producers at actually telling good stories around it and lifting those people up like other TV shows are doing. I think The Bachelor has been around for a long time and has, you know, for a lot of years, drilled into and marketed to a very specific, very white audience. And now they are finding themselves in the position um, to figure out how to navigate through that and possibly, you know, kind of backtrack on this thing that they did for a long time. And we'll see. It'll be interesting to track over the next few years and see, see what happens. But yeah, the good news is that there are lots of other great reality dating shows that are maybe like doing that better. (laughs) I think it's like, it's not easy, right? So especially myself, I've had quite the journey to get to where I am in terms of learning to become anti-racist, especially like I'm Brazilian and I grew up very much in this bubble that was like, no, you're diverse. And like, you understand this stuff. And it was like, no, I very much grew up in this white bubble that, you know, was the way it is and, and taught me a lot of things that when I got to college, I was like, whoa, you know, what? what's the Confederate flag? And having to learn that at a very late age. And, you know, I think that there are a lot of adults for the, that work for this show that I'm sure that they're going through a similar reckoning that they're having to face this head on. And it's it's exciting to hear about some of the progress, like how they elevated a person of color and a woman to become an executive producer. I think before the majority of executive producers were all men, white men, mm-hmm. yeah. um, for a love show. And, <laughs> so, you know, right like put more women in roles, put more people of color in roles. And and the, the goal there isn't like to check off a box, right? And that's what I think that they really need to reckon with if they're looking at screen time is it's not just a matter of like putting people on this beach, but then you have to take it a step further of, okay, like we're not using and leveraging women or people of color to just check this box off. It's okay, well, what what experiences do they bring? And I think Tasha and Ivan were the first that we saw was when you bring people of color into this role and you show the raw conversations that they have, it can be really powerful. And whether or not you agree with it, like if women are talking about, you know, feeling oppressed or anything like that, or if people of color are talking about their experience with racism, if you do, if you elevate those stories in a thoughtful way, regardless of who your audience is, you can actually, you know, keep people on board. Like it, if, if the concern there is losing their primor- primarily white audience, it's like, okay, well, how can we have those conversations? You know, how can we bring those people on board this way with us the right way with society? Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of the shows that do it better, that seem like a better showcase for 
black and brown contestants are just, like, The Bachelor is so, like, obviously uncomfortable with it and self-conscious. And they're like, we have to give them the floor to have the important conversation now. And that's not the setting that contestants on, like, The Circle or Too Hot to Handle or Love is Blind are in. They're they're representing themselves. They're being themselves. These things come up, but it can be in a much more, like, Casual. Casual settings. Sometimes they're joking around about it. I think that we need to see The Bachelor eventually evolve towards, like, allowing Black contestants to have that comfort that, like, they can be themselves on the show and not have to be, like, an advertisement for, like... Or, like, a chess piece. A a representative of something. Yeah. Or, like, even a chess piece to be, like, used. I think it's, like, they don't have to have those conversations, but if they do, they shouldn't have to be scared of it. And they also shouldn't have to feel like if they have that conversation that they're pushed in that direction by production so that, again, they can check that box off. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's just so many dynamics to it. But I think, um, and, you know, especially like need to totally acknowledge this is me coming. This is coming from me, a white person who's still on this journey of acknowledging their own, you know, experience mm-hmm. with with all of this, you know, trying to learn and whatnot. But, you know, I just I. I think there's just so much potential for this show and there's so much more they can do with it to make better love stories, which is why we all tune in. We all want to watch these people fall in love on this this reality TV show, you know? Look, we, yeah. we love love and we are so grateful f- uh, to you for doing all of this work. Before we let you go, we have a very important question. Um, we have been particularly interested in the representation of crabs. We've been trying to rate every episode by its crab quotient, but we're not very rigorous, so it's more like an impression, a feel. Yeah, it's like what like vibe did we did we <laughs> feel that crabs just in our minds were like present due? Mm-hmm. Is this something you've been tracking? And if so, how have the crabs been faring this season? Are there any patterns? <laughs> you know. I feel like episode three is where is really where they peaked. You know, they had they had over 20 seconds of featured screen time, which I know doesn't sound a, like a lot. But I mean, we have most contestants don't even get that much. They're faring better <laughs> than a lot of contestants did. <laughs> is that the episode where Tajwan was talking to the crab on the, the cards? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that was so, the episode with our highest crabby rating so potentially. Good. So we used to call those all just like flyovers, like drone shots whenever they'd like, you know, look at the scenery, everything. But now we're breaking it down of the flyovers, like the beach drone shots, the crabs and the animals. And now we've been getting requests of like analyzing for specific species of birds. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't think I can help there. I don't have actually our producer, Harry, put in a question has the night heron surpassed the crabs in screen time? And I was like, I don't think that she's tracking night heron specifically, <laughs> but I can tell you that we did accidentally refer to a night heron as a seagull in an episode, and we got a very upset tweet about it. And we were like, we're I'm sorry. wondering now if was that Harry who slid into my DMs asking for me to, because that was the exact bird that I was asked to analyze. Everyone's talking about the wow. night herons. We got a tweet that was like, yet another podcast mistakes a night heron for a seagull. This is so disappointing. I was like, listen, Look, I'm not we, a bird we all watcher. have our strengths. Identifying species of birds is just not yeah. one of ours. None okay? of the three we're of us sorry. got into this line of work because we're good at identifying bird species. But you do so much, Susanna, Tracking the crab screen time is just a gift in and of itself. (laughs) And I don't think you need to do the specific bird species. You do so much already. (laughs) Uh, And on that, I think that's a perfect place for us to wrap up. We are so grateful to you. Thank you for coming on and chatting with us. Thanks for having me. That's it for Love to See It with Emma and Claire. Thanks to our guest, Susanna Summers, also known as at Bachelor Data. So check her out on Instagram. Love to See It is produced by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray and Stitcher. This episode was edited by Harry Huggins. Our theme music is by Tamar Haviv and our art is by Celine Chang. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. If you like the show, please rate five stars and leave a review. 
More importantly, tell all your friends, especially your friends who used to listen to us as Here to Make Friends. Help us get the word out about our new name and our new show. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at claraandemmapod at gmail.com with your questions and voice memos. We might even feature you in an upcoming mailbag. You can also find us on Twitter at love to see it Pod and Instagram at ClarenEmmaPod and at our newsletter, Rich Text, which you can find at clarenemma.substack.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at EmmaLadyRose. And I'm at Claire E. Fallon. We'll be back soon for even more on Paradise. Can you keep up? I like love Stitcher.